Welcome to season four of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Live from a cafe in central London, this is your 14th favourite social good show, the Do More Good Podcast. Always room for improvement, Jimbo. Here we are, James, episode number 51 of the Do More Good Podcast. How are you doing? You're looking very smart this evening. (laughs) I'm still buzzing, Kenny, still buzzing from our day out of the football. Oh. What a day. I got some feedback on that today, actually. Did you? Someone said it was a bit rowdy, wasn't it? It was a bit, but that was, was, that was just you. That oh, that's like we were at a football match and we did have a, sl- a small dictaphone that we were recording our voices. But it was a fun day out, though, wasn't it? It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, particularly picking up the result as well. Well, and the prediction. And the prediction. Mainly that. I couldn't care about the three points. I just got something right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How are you being anyway? I'm good. I'm, um, I'm also, I'm dressed up smartly tonight, Kenneth, because I'm in, I'm in the presence of a celebrity, am I not? Do I recognise you from the BBC? Here we go. Red button. Red button. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was good, was it? Yes. uh, So we had the Vitality Big Half last weekend or two weekends ago. It went ahead. A uh, bit of wind, a bit of chill, but the sun was shining and it was an absolutely incredible event. Yeah. Like, really you guys have suffered in the past, haven't you, with the weather? Yeah, so we, we had a big festival area at the end of the event for all the finishers, so 17,000 people. Festival's been closed the last two years. Initially was the ice and the cold snap, what do we call that one, a couple of years ago? It was like... Bertha. May, maybe. They all have a nickname, don't they, these days? Yeah. And then I ran last it, year. Yeah. I ran that. that Did you? The first year? Yeah, yeah, it's cold. Yeah, then last year was the wind that took it out. But no, this yeah. year was brilliant. It was beautiful sunny day. Everyone enjoying themselves. Lots of local food vendors. A bit of music from... But that's not um, what everyone's talking about, right? Well, no, exactly. What are they um, talking about? Okay, yes, I did get interviewed on the BBC. Yes. Live. Live. What but, a pro as well. Oh, you know, absolutely uh, delivered it, didn't I? Yeah. You know. No, you know what, actually? I did reflect on that, and I did post it on... All social media. (laughs) All social media. (laughs) Of course. And my most engaged post on LinkedIn ever, I think. But actually, I did feel quite privileged doing that, because you know when you get up to actually speak genuinely about something that you're passionate and excited about on TV, and I just just really enjoyed it, and it made me reflect to think, actually, how lucky am I that I get to do that and, and get paid for it as well, so... Yeah, I was, oh, great I was job. quite, I was quite did, happy, was good. happy I had about to begrudgingly that. say it was very good. Yeah, well thank you. What else have thank you been up you. to? Not signing autographs and... You know what? I mean, time and uh, no, lot, lots going on, as I'm sure there is for many, many people listening around coronavirus, you know, preparing for the big one. Yeah. Only less than 40, 45 days to go until a London Marathon this year. So lots of work going on with that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm just, I'm good, mate. I'm good. really good. I'm really good. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, pre- you know, a lot of prepping as well. By the time this goes out, you know, it might have, it might have gone away. Prepping for what? But lots of contingency oh, stuff. Oh, really? Around. I know. What could happen? What might happen? What if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? Yeah. But uh, otherwise, we're fine. We've got, we've got a busy week this week, so a couple of presentations at the end of this week. Yeah. Um, 
And how was your night out the other night? Oh, <laughs> the night out was good. I we really enjoyed a, the night out. We can't have a conversation on the Do More Good podcast and not refer to a night out, oh, can we? Oh, man. We, was, um, we did something <laughs> called Baby, Baby Guinness. Baby Guinness. Oh, very good. They were nice. We're getting they, did not, they, was, <laughs> they did not agree with me in the morning. I was, I was suffering. Cool. Yeah. We're getting far too old for this. Anyway, our guest is sitting here very patiently. Sorry about that. But let's introduce her and get on with it. So our guest this week started her fundraising career in 2006 when she joined the major donor and special events team at the Children's Society. She then moved on to spend four years with GOSH as their events manager, delivering events to engage supporters and support their high-value fundraising. And then in 2013, she joined Sparks before founding her own business in 2014 after 10 years working in-house. So we want to know a bit more about that. So in 2014, she founded Coveted Events. Have I said that correctly? Coveted yeah, Events? Indeed, yeah. yeah. Which is an international events consultancy based in London, working with charities and foundations to really deliver content-led events and conferences with an impact. And the company has worked with a huge range of clients. One of them that I had to pull out was obviously the prestigious BAFTA's annual fundraising film gala and a series of cultivation events. So that sounds very glamorous and exciting. I'm sure we'll ask a few questions about that as we get going. And as if her busy day job wasn't enough, in her spare time, she was one of the founding members of the Special Events Forum, which is a free resource to share best practice with peers across the sector. And then in 2019, she co-founded IF25, a forum for the CEOs, chairs and founders of grant-giving organisations with a UK base who give to the global south. And then more recently, she's became a director of the Resource Alliance, an organisation that creates content and events to support social change within the non-profit sector around the world, most notably through their annual conference at the IFC. So there isn't really much she doesn't know about organising an event or a conference, and so we're really pleased to have some time to speak with her today. I'd like to welcome Rebecca Elkham to the Do More Good podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and slightly starstruck to be in the presence Oh, stop of it. <laughs> stop it. I was talking it. about you. I was talking about James. Oh, All right. <laughs> yes. Perfect intro. Perfect. Very I'm, good. I'm going to go there with the, with the big question. How does one go about securing BAFTA as a client? I mean, that's Ooh. impressive, right? I was really lucky. No, actually, that's not true. I have worked very hard <laughs> um, throughout my career to make sure that I am well networked. And I think when I reflect on my career today, I think one of my key learnings has been to ensure that I really do focus on a bit of self-PR. And I know that that is not is not a phrase that people like to talk about, but it's in reality, I know, I learnt from the best. I've seen other colleagues really promote themselves and really make sure that they are well-networked and position themselves with the right people. And I think I've learnt from that and adapted some of my behaviours accordingly. And BAFTA, in answer to your question, was a contact of mine that was in fact my first my very first boss at the children's society and i've always made sure that i've continued to build and maintain those relationships with former colleagues directors bosses to help me further those um relationships in the future and build build a business around that so kenneth can expect that call from from gary lineker any moment now from the bbc <laughs> no i think it's point. a really <laughs> interesting a point it's a really interesting point and i think you're right like some people find it that's I guess some people find it very uncomfortable to, to put themselves out there and to kind of be seen to be good at PR and networking themselves. But certainly a subject I'd like to get into a little bit more. But just before we do and kind of move on to some of them subjects, where did it all start for you in terms of getting into the charity sector and fundraising? Can you talk about a little bit about that journey, maybe university and, and then moving into your first role? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I was always really intrigued by the world of charity as a teenager. I wouldn't say that I was one of those people who did fundraisers at school and supported the university rag and that sort of thing. That wasn't my scene. But I was really interested in the sort of mechanisms behind fundraising. And although I read linguistics at university, the thing that I focused on for my dissertation was the language of charity campaigns, specifically the NSPCC's full stop campaign. So I had an interest in that world from quite a young age and then went on a relatively traditional route into the charity sector so I applied for Cancer Research UK's internship program and then have literally gone through every single step from events intern to events assistant exec senior exec manager senior manager and had a relatively yeah, yeah traditional route in that way and I guess nowadays the event sector's change quite dramatically you can do degrees in event management multiple different types of degree in event management and I guess for me it was more the case that I did had hands-on events experience and as you say learned the trade from the bottom up but you started at CIUK then well that's in at the deep end isn't it their events must be yeah absolutely and I worked with the Bobby Moore Fund so I guess also my experience was pretty glamorous from an early stage working on their big gala dinners and that was really my interest. I think in the UK we refer to it as the special events um, <laughs> department which I've always thought is a bit of a, yeah, it's a, bit of an odd wanky name, name yeah. basically. <laughs> special <laughs> events doesn't really mean anything yeah. outside of outside of the UK market, I don't think. Yeah, if you go and tell your nan that you work in special events she's going to be, <laughs> yeah, not sure what that means. Yeah, yeah. and I also think that if you don't work in that team and you work in challenge events, are they non-special, yeah. unspecial, yeah, yeah, yeah. boring events instead? Yeah. I don't know. James don't know where that yeah. comes from. <laughs> you can answer that question, James. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a relatively traditional route that took me from an intern to heading up teams. And what was that, what was that like at that time? Because you say it's quite traditional. But did you, were you always kind of focused on the end goal of where you wanted to get to? Was that what drove you through those... Those jobs, because I and I'm just reflecting back myself, thinking about relatively early in your career. You, I've come across people who seem driven. You seem to, you know, you might meet an exec or an assistant, and you acknowledge that they're going places, and they seem to have that inner confidence in themselves. You can kind of see it. I'm just wondering, how was that for you? Did you always have that confidence that you were going to progress on, or was it something that you had to work at early in your career? I don't think I had the confidence or the vision that that was where I was going to end up. And I think actually along the way, as you guys both know, when you work in events, people do tend to say to you, particularly as a woman, people often said to me, when you have kids, you'll probably give events up because your lifestyle won't... It it won't fit with your lifestyle and the other demands that you'll have on your life. And so I think I have seen along that route, along that journey, a number of colleagues move from events into major donor fundraising or out of the sector altogether and I think possibly that's because people have viewed events as a nice to have or something that's a bit of fluff on the side of serious fundraising and I to your point have always been really passionate about the sector I've always been really passionate about what I've done and so although it wasn't necessarily my original aim to remain in events and to continue to deliver events and make that journey from assistant to director I think as the more the longer that I've been in in this role and in this world the more I've seen and recognized the value of events 
to impact the wider sector, to impact fundraising as a whole. Yeah. It's a great mechanism for fundraising, isn't it, to actually get people together to do that. I think you talked about it just before we, we, um, we started, about how you're always on in events. I think that's a fair point around having a life outside of it. You've got to fit that around being at work 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. It's a, it's a, I don't think you can do events and not care. I think you have to... Mm. Uh, it's the same with fundraising in general, I think. Essentially, you're, events if you're care in, the most, right? I mean... We care the most. <laughs> yeah, most <laughs> dedicated. Yeah. I guess you're used to just working the long hours, aren't you? And you quite quickly realise that this isn't a nine-to-five. And if anyone comes into it with the expectation that it's going to be a nine-to-five, they tend to leave pretty quickly. Yeah, it's uh, five to nine, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, exactly. It's, they, either they can't handle it or they weren't aware of that. Yeah. But So you went through that quite traditional route with your career with some relatively, well, the biggest charities there are, are out there. And then after you got that in-house experience, you decided that you were at some point going to go freelance. And can you talk us through that? As, because I think that's a, it's an inspiring story to hear that you kind of started right at the bottom and worked all the way up and then got to the point where you think, right, I can go and do this. What was that like making that decision at the time? I think as anyone who has made that move from being within the security of an in-house role to freelance or consultancy can attest to, it's a challenging decision. And I think at the time, I actually didn't have the responsibilities that lots of people, that I have now and that a lot of people have when making that move. I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have kids, I didn't have those sorts of responsibilities. And I I suddenly realised that what I really enjoy about my work is the variety and actually to take the upper level I could work with multiple organizations multiple clients work on multiple projects and continue rather than working on an annual calendar where you're delivering the same events often delivering the same events over and over but I could add variety into the mix by working with with a number of different organizations and that really appealed and I put the feelers out to a very minimal extent and landed an opportunity that was only two days a week with one very small organization I had a couple of leads and that was enough at that point in my life to take the plunge and make the move into freelance consultancy did it feel bold at the time did you did you realize what a big step it was at the time or were you trying something different did you know from the second you did that this is it this is the way I'm going now I'm fully committed or I'm going to give this a go, see where it ends up, and if not, I can pop back to Gosh. Yeah, I think it was probably a, a combination. I didn't know whether that would be the move that would lead me to being a consultant. At that point, I, was, I think I was under 30, and so it felt like I didn't necessarily have all of the experience needed to position myself as the expert in fundraising events. But I think that's where... It, Kenneth was saying about confidence and I think when you take yourself out and you have to do that self-PR you have to do that promotion I definitely wasn't as confident then as I am now in saying this is why you should hire me this is why you should work with me and my team but that's something that has developed over the last few years because I I have had to pitch for things and and rather than going for one job interview every couple of years it's kind of a constant pitching proposal and I guess you begin to value your own self-worth you see your own self-worth as well actually I'm quite good at this and I know what I'm doing and apparently I, I, I wouldn't know that <laughs> other people feel that way that, uh. so where did you learn that 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 networking and that kind of 
personal brand thing that you've talked a little bit about because I can imagine going freelance in your early 30s as you was and you said that you, you managed to luckily find the first client quite quickly. But then how much focus or time did you commit to kind of you and your personal brand and marketing yourself and your business at that time? I think that makes it sound a lot more targeted <laughs> than it actually was. And, and don't get me wrong, I wouldn't say that I'm a naturally alpha, alpha extrovert personality. But as, as I touched on, I think it was something that I had to make myself yeah. learn, having, having potentially been overlooked for roles in the past because people thought I was nice or young in lots of cases. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a five-foot nothing woman yeah. it's really easy even now however many years on yeah. to find yourself in those positions where people over overlook you or don't recognize your value or worth mm. and so I think again being in that position or ensuring that I was in the position that I could talk confidently compete with those around me was something that I felt really strongly about mm. So kind of developing an inner fierceness to show that, that maybe that was already inside, but you were happy, you, you were more happy to show that I can do this. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I work, the nature of my role is, it requires me to work with a lot of boards and committees, advisory panels, and <coughs> those groups are notoriously, can be notoriously challenging to work with. Mm. And something that I did learn along the way was around being prepared and being thorough in my research and sort of processes, which I know sounds terribly unsexy in comparison to the idea of being spontaneous and bold and big big picture, which I think I can be too, but it's finding that balance between having those spontaneous moments but also being able to back it up with evidence and expertise and experience of seeing those things that happen in practice. Yeah, I think there is there is something about that preparing to the nth degree, just and then prepare, and then pretending like you didn't prepare anything mm-hmm. at all. Back and pocket papers. The, yeah, exactly. Mm. Everything's off. and as you've seen behind the scenes now at the Do More Good podcast, you're aware <laughs> just how prepared we are at all times. <clears throat> but I think I was just going to pick up on one, one thing you said there that you know I think there's a if there's someone listening to this who's who's relatively early in their career or maybe not or maybe hasn't achieved quite what they want. I'm sure a lot of people will connect with what you're saying, and so. And I think I can connect with what you're saying, actually, in terms of not necessarily being the most confident person, like questioning myself quite a lot. And, you know, people from the outside think, oh, you're, you're really confident. You don't mind talking about it. But it's I guess on the we BBC. All, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all have our insecurities around things. But I was just what advice would you give to anyone who's maybe connects with what you're saying around, you know, maybe feeling like they can't hold a room, maybe feeling like not the most confident in certain situations, but confidence in their own ability. How can they get that? I'm definitely a fan and advocate for mentoring. And whether that's in an informal way or otherwise, then I think that's something that I would always, always recommend. And whether that's from within your current sector or outside of, then... I think it's a really valuable thing to have in your life and it doesn't necessarily mean one person either. It can be a number of people who you can learn from. The one thing I would say is that along the way, and I think you'll find it in events, I'm sure in other areas as well, but in events you'll offer, you often won't get the praise that you think you deserve <laughs> at the end of a project. You kind of want a pat yeah. on the back, whereas 
your team, colleagues, bosses see that as your job and you may have gone above and beyond and done a million hours and been stuck in a goods lift at 4am or whatever else, people will 100% assume that that is your job and your role and that's what you're paid for. So I think it's also reminding yourself... It don't look to other people to praise you. I mean, it's great if you do, but don't look to other people to sort of give you that boost. You have to remind yourself of the things that you've achieved and can do. And whether that is, you know, when you've been at an organisation, as I had in the past, for X number of years, it's easy in-house as, as well to feel that you're stagnating and yeah. lose confidence in... You, in yourself and the, the things that you've achieved during that time. So mm. I think always... It, keeping lists and reminding yourself of the things that you've achieved and that doesn't have to be through your annual appraisal but just yeah. your mental notes of these are the things I'm working on these are the things that I've impacted you mm. know had an impact on mm. and these are the outcomes not only mm. is it great CV fodder and interview yeah, prep, yeah, yeah. but it's also a good, uh, you know a positive thing to be reminding yourself because in in many cases no one else is going to remind you about how great you are yeah I think a few people have talked about that actually, haven't they? But the nice folder. The nice folder about yeah. having that folder when you get those compliments. It's important to kind of look. But we started one on the Do More Good podcast. It's uh, <laughs> um, just waiting for that first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's currently two, empty. Two and a half years be, in. It's going to be it's amazing. A bit empty, when that lands. But uh, we give each other a pat on the back. I think that's where <laughs> that's where we get our conf- inner confidence from. But just touching on what you said, so is that kind of what led to the the special events forum and kind of bringing that community together? Because I can imagine that being a good peer support group for people who felt similar to what you were describing then if you're in events people expect you to be at every event and just delivering but the events forum sounds like a good place to to kind of share that and get that support i think the events forum is really and a really interesting development i actually it actually originated in from a, a coffee with four or five people back in 2011 and a few of us who were doing the same role, event manager for a, ch- for a UK charity, saying, oh, it would be great to share some tools and perhaps talk about the current pressures that we're facing in our roles, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go for a coffee. The next time, there were sort of 15 of us. The next time, I remember holding the, meet, the conversation at Gosh's offices, and then it expanded so that we were holding twice yearly conferences and we were getting free venues and having s- external speakers etc etc it's um, got to be the best group of the people <laughs> to do that though hasn't it you've got the Midas touch there haven't you but it was a, a big this. pressure I, I did this yeah, I, I used to go for coffee with sports and challenge mm. events managers and we used to meet for coffee and we'd talk about our problems and things that were coming up and how we were going to deal with Outbreaks of viruses. That sort of <laughs> thing. And, and then you decided you to meet in person to have those we, conversations. We met, yeah, we did. Yeah, we used <laughs> to shake hands at the beginning every time. And we called ourselves the Rebel EMF because we weren't like the event managers from. We were the Rebel EMF. Hang on a second. We were the Rebel EMF. Well, that's, oh. there, were, there were doubles out there. And then the real EMF got in touch with me and said, A, stop calling yourself the Rebel EMF. <laughs> and B, come and join us and make mm-hmm. it part of us. And then, you know, I joined that part of the IOF. Okay, so, yeah, you were much more inclusive than... We were. Well, I was only, only we I, was, rebel. I was forced. I, I basically sold out, didn't I? I just <laughs> they, they offered me a check, and I and I turned on them. Yeah, immediately. But so yeah, to your point, that was a great platform for us to discuss challenges, issues, mm. share things like suppliers, things mm. that had worked well, and to see what our competitors were up to in mm. a way that was very 
collaborative actually and I think possibly in the corporate world that sort of collaboration and sharing and openness may not have happened but the happy clappy world of charity was much more willing to to share and and divulge but I think one of the I do remember really distinctly hosting one event where at the beginning we asked people to just we had this big sign up that just that said not just party planners and we asked people to write down all of the things all of those moments where their charity has benefited from an event and whether that is through hosting a gala dinner they're able to engage celebrities whether it was through you know a a golf day that a major donor who had ignored all communication and never been interested in their work got through the door by coming to one of their events how Often, as I said, you can be, you can yourself also mm. view yourself as in the world of events a bit of fluff and and not be taken seriously. Um, but to have this huge wall filled with post-it notes demonstrating the value of events yeah. on the wider work of the organisation was really motivating. And I need to dig out those photographs and remind remind yourself well. sometimes. Yeah, you sometimes forget, don't you? You sometimes forget. So those early years, starting out on your own and, and running your own events, events is unforgiving, isn't it? You, you have to learn fast and you fail publicly if you do. <laughs> um, were there kind of key lessons that you learned from the first couple of years starting out? Can you look back on those days with rose-tinted glasses? He's basically asking, amazing? what was the biggest fuck-up you made? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the lift. The one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of any major, major fuck-ups. <laughs> they'll come to me but I think the key learning which which I'm sure other people have again experienced is recognising your also recognising your capabilities and your abilities and how much time projects take when you're on your own and you don't have that infrastructure of a wider team yeah. or you know the basics of a printer or an IT team or whoever to support you and when you're on your own everything is on you and recognising that you have to, that things that may have when you were in-house at Great Ormond Street or the Children's Society taking you a day to do mm. could potentially take you double that time. On the flip side, also, there isn't the same red tape. There yeah, isn't necessarily course, yeah. all of the protocol that may come with working from within a charity. I imagine a lot of support teams out there are nodding sagely at this, saying this is why we're part of charities. I've also realised that I'm really terrible with dates, which as someone in events... <laughs> really that's yeah. an interesting one this is the, the confession version of the do more good podcast yeah. uh. i have to double triple check dates because i have often found myself we have quite a busy calendar of events and mm. often can have this you know four or five events or in the same week and for me i have asked suppliers to turn up on one day and it's been another day, uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. And normally not so last minute that it, it's not, that it isn't something it. that can be rectified. Yeah. Yeah. But I have had last minute panics when I've realised that I've booked someone for the wrong day in the wrong country and that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh. And so I think oh. it's... That sends a shiver down my spine just thinking about yeah, that stuff. Because, yeah, is, I, would, know, I would panic 15 years on from starting out. It's not, well, it's not something say, that you know, happened that at the beginning and doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. That's changed um, for you, isn't it? Because now you're looking at four and five events at any one week. Back in the day, you had your one client when you started out. Has anything mm. else changed over the last 15 years? Um, the events market? The 
Definitely the events market has changed. And I think what has really, what I've really noticed that people are much organizations are much more open to working and and again this isn't to do in-house teams out of jobs by any means but I think in some cases organizations are realizing that they don't need year-long annual support to work on what is essentially a three-month project so I think I have benefited from that um, as a freelancer as a consultant that actually it's possible to work on and something like events which is very hands-on I guess is, is a very different situation to being someone that's proposal writing or whatever and um, so so I feel that charities now are trusting consultants who yeah. aren't necessarily based in the office to work on event projects makes sense makes um, a lot of sense and, and financially it's beneficial mm. In terms of general resource and everything else, it, it, it makes sense. So I think that has shifted quite significantly. Yeah, because I guess you don't need to be as, an, as a special events lead or whatever. You don't necessarily need to have the whole background of the charity, the organisation. I'm sure it helps in some situations, and I'm sure in your situation when you were in-house, you got you were doing some face-to-face fundraising as well. I'm sure you were speaking to manager donors yeah. and passing on leads and doing all that stuff. But it, it, it seems to be a, a skill that you can outsource fairly simply. And you've moved on to some of the biggest ones in the world, right? <laughs> we, were, we were lucky enough to be at the IFC this year, and we loved it, didn't we? Yeah, it was Not just good. the giant monkey head on the dance floor. It wasn't just, just that. The organisation was incredible, oh, James, wasn't it? Unbelievable. I mean, the event manager that they've got... In, or, Seamless. Uh, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been involved with that now for, the, for a few years. Yeah, so I actually came to the Resource Alliance as a volunteer in 2017. There's a modus operandi here, isn't there, that you come and turn up as a volunteer and then a couple of years later you're running the show <laughs> and people are looking around. How did, how did that happen? It's that networking that yeah. you talked about, right? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but I was, yeah, I guess interested in the IFC and offered to go, to go as a volunteer and... Honestly, probably the same as what you're saying in terms of your first experience is blown away yeah, yeah, yeah. by the production value, the content, the general atmosphere and sense of community that the yeah. event resonated and felt like I want to I wanna be in that. I want a part of that. Yeah. And so not only did I then go off and advocate the IFC to my colleagues and uh, counterparts, I then... I kept in touch with the organisation and then had an opportunity to go back and do some cover, do some sabbatical cover for the head of events, James. And again, after that, kept in touch and was asked by the organisation to go back on a permanent basis last year. So... And what's it like working? Great journey with the Resource Alliance so far. Like working working for 160 hours non-stop because it does feel like that is. (laughs) I finished off my question. Yeah, it is. is, It's a pretty full-on event, right? It's what is it? Four days. It is. It's actually a week, isn't it? We approached it as a 24-hour-a-day event. Basically, we we just kept going the whole time. (laughs) You must have done the same. Yeah, it's a it's an intense week, and I guess that is that sees the culmination of an intense period of planning as well mm. um, but it's 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 great to see everything come together in a way that no other event that I've ever worked on has that sense of satisfaction when 
when you see those people in the room. And I guess, unlike most events that I'm involved with, where which are usually targeting high net worth individuals and corporates, and the people in the room feel somewhat removed from where I am as a as an individual, to be in a room full of your peers it has a very different has a de- very different feel and energy. To, yeah. to anything else that I've worked I w- on. I was going to say, how how do you think, and obviously being on the inside at the Resource Alliance, hopefully you can give us some insight to this, but how do you think they've managed to establish what you referred to there, that, that feel, that, that atmosphere, that togetherness? Because that was certainly one of the unique experiences for me, having never attended the event before, and of course attended s- hundreds of other conferences over the years. But that together, that culture almost of it how do you think they've managed to establish that i think the people as cheesy as it sounds the people are at the heart of that event and the heart of the resource alliance's wider community and interestingly as you look around the room you know that certain people have been involved with the ra and the ifc since its inception this year we're celebrating our 40th anniversary and some of the people in that room were at that very first convening yeah. 40 years ago and others, as you say, are brand new and we try really hard to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to participate and feel a part of something special mm. rather than feeling like an outsider. And I think it would be really easy for, for people who are coming for that one year to feel like they're excluded or haven't, you know, aren't part of an exclusive club where whereas actually i think what what i hope anyway happens is that people go and feel instantly part of a community and i think it is because everyone is united even if they represent hundreds of different charities everyone is united in that ultimate mission to yeah, yeah, yeah. to is do it? more good and and i think that really <laughs> get one of those <laughs> and, and I think that really that really helps in a way that is probably different from other you, know, you saying that just rem- rem- it made me draw a comparison you're going to like this with Glastonbury that everybody there mm. felt like it was a special place to be that everyone was lucky to be there that everyone had put in a lot of effort to get there and everyone there was qu- it felt special it felt magical it felt like that was the place to be in the charity sector at the time that almost you didn't want to tell anybody else because you didn't want everybody else to know about it because then they would you know that yeah, ca- yeah. we actually like had that. this amazing story of a fundraiser from South Africa who really really wanted to come to the IFC but didn't know how they were going to get there in terms of what their organisation what, what she as a fundraiser could afford to pay in order to get to the conference but she'd heard so many amazing things about it that she crowdfunded and her community crowdfunded oh, to get her to the event because what we and did those we, sorts of we stories. sold our bodies to get there <laughs> which got us which got us to Morden and then we, <laughs> then we had to hitchhike the rest of the way didn't yeah, we basically. Yeah, yeah. I did wonder yeah. I did wonder <laughs> Not quite. It's not a case study that I'm going to use on the website, no, no, I have no, to no, say. No, 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 no. <laughs> no don't, don't, don't do that. So whilst Kenneth is off getting the drinks in, I'll just remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DoMoreGoodPod. Or take a look at the website, DoMoreGood.uk, which is where you can sign up for the Do More Good newsletter. A reminder about new episodes, news on our latest plans, and perhaps some VIP content. Now... I'm a big fan of the like, whereas Kenneth is more of a retweet kind of guy. Either way, we'd love to hear from you with thoughts, suggestions, reviews, or just to let us know you got home okay. Anyway, he's on his way back now. <laughs>
So what's what's the, what does the future hold for Rebecca, and what's the future hold for the IFC? Obviously, we haven't talked about it yet, but the coronavirus is potentially having an impact on the events industry. Before we were sat down to record, we were talking a little bit about it, and actually, I didn't even consider that the events industry is one of those that's been impacted most by what's going on and the cancellations. But yeah, what's the what's the what's the plans for the IFC if we remove coronavirus from mm-hmm. the, the discussion? I think as with all events, the IFC will continue to evolve and mm. what we've done over the years is to learn from and listen to our community and what they want and what they need. And that's certainly our ambition that we continue to meet the needs of our community and deliver event an event or events that support those organizations and individuals in their mission and I think for this year as I said we're we're planning our 40th celebrations and excited to bring our theme of accelerating change which seems all the more timely yes given the current situation and the the challenges that we're facing right now you know we're excited to bring that theme to our community in October brilliant Sounds like you need another Do More Good uh, podcast going on there. That's maybe what we'll uh, just put that one in there. Anyway, just, just moving on, I did want to touch you on a couple of other, other topics. We were t- speaking a little bit before just about life in general in events and how it's, it's always on, but then you touched on kind of flexible working and maybe that's a topic that you're interested in, passionate about. What experience have you had in terms of flexible working or what adjustments have you had to make through your career and to be flexible at certain situations? I think, as I mentioned, I moved into consultancy and freelancing prior to having a family. Mm. And I am really glad that that was the case because it meant that I was already set up to to work in that way and was used to working in that way. But I, I went to an NCVO event kind of a, around this time last year, around International Women's Day, and just remember hearing so many stories not just from women but in the in the most case from women who had really struggled particularly after having children to return to work and continue to do the job that they were doing before and or to progress within their organization I was really struck by that and I'm really passionate about whether it's within our sector or within our community or further afield about flexible working and I followed really closely a couple of campaigns, Flex Appeal and Pregnant Pregnant Then Screwed, that highlight just the the real the real. You can use a swear word if you want. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the yeah. No, I get it. Um, The inequality between the the situations that women face, Mm. particularly after they return to work. Mm. Um, So I think I'm passionate about flexible working because of that, but also in general, and I. Part of the reason why I was willing to go back onto the payroll and join an organisation was because, and rejoin an organisation was because the Resource Alliance are and have been incredibly, I've seen how incredibly supportive they've been of parents returning to work and offering that flexibility. And it means that they have the infrastructure that allows us to work from wherever and the trust in staff that if they're not in the office, that they will continue to do their job. And I think we are ahead of the curve in comparison to lots of organisations within the sector, within the community, in that respect. And I'm glad that we are particularly 
in this current climate where we're seeing organizations saying, oh shit, we better learn, you know, we, we better change our infrastructure and make sure we've got those processes and the technology in place to allow our teams to work flexibly. Yeah, you definitely need the technology and the infrastructure. Mm. I think you touched on a really good point there around if you don't trust that people are working, then don't employ them in the first place. Mm. Like, give people the ownership, give them the, the control over their own working life, judge them on their results, but let them do that however they... As long as they're hitting the numbers and doing what you ask them to do, whether they do that between nine and five or five and nine or, or however that works, that seems to fit. Yeah, and I think actually I was really struck by a presentation that Kashana Palmer, another sector celebrity, um, a presentation that she did on the Resource Alliance's fundraising online last summer around sticky teams and how you can really get the most out of your team, how you can set yourself up so that working remotely and having flexible working can... She's quite a force. We met her, um, I, I don't mind admitting, with one of the worst hangovers of my life um, <laughs> at our FC. Come on, There's she, an ongoing pattern Yeah, here. she really yeah, there is, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I was really absolutely fine. She's amazing. She's incredible. She yeah. was in the end of our IFC episode. I yeah. think we wanted we to catch five minutes with her on the on the last day. And like even then, speak. she was still yeah, just, just, so, just so engaging and warm. And then it was like the last day. We were literally about to run, on the, run on the, uh, onto the coach. And I think she gave you a little hug, James, because you looked like you needed one. <laughs> you look like you needed to. I definitely, I look definitely. like a broken she, man. She, she helped pick me up. I was on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But just touching on what you said, Rebecca, I was looking for, I mean, obviously there's been a lot in the press over the last week around what the IOF have done and the, the Women in Leadership Roles report that came mm-hmm. out. And I was trying to find the actual... A change collective. Change collective. Yeah. And it was all part of that 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 movement, which was which was great to see. I think one of the things that I saw on it and, and, and some of the commentary online was there wasn't a lot of men in the room. At, at the presentation, at the at the kind of when they were announcing it, and and the comments afterwards, and I kind of read that and looked at it and thought, actually, sh- should I have made more of an effort to be there? Did I? Wasn't it even on my? It wasn't necessarily even on my agenda in terms of I was aware of it until it had happened. But I guess we all got to take some ownership of this and actually say to kind of get involved in the the dialogue, the discussion around it, and support support campaigns like that because it was it seems to be obviously needed. I think gender inequality isn't a woman's problem. No. It's, it's everyone's problem mm. and everyone's issue and challenge. Yeah. And I think you're right. Mm. I think it is important to have to Im- to ensure that men are part of that discussion. Mm. And I think it's important for uh, also for us to give to give those opportunities as well. Um, mm. But I, I, I think it's something that you can. You <coughs> I mean, can I think it's a debate for a, a long time. No, you, yeah, you can. We'll be here till one a.m. Well, we said we <laughs> might be here till one a.m. But I think it. What it's made me realise is that I have, I have to maybe put myself out of my comfort zone a little bit more into those situations. And also, similarly, an experience I've had at work at the moment. So I've joined our inclusion and diversity board at work, which is about how we, you know, how the workplace should be more diverse. Working with some great individuals, but. I'm kind of going into that and it's just making me realise actually what I don't do, like the actions that I don't take, you know, and so I need to put myself into more situations that gets me more aware of what is actually going on and so trying to do that, trying every day. Actions for us. Failing miserably. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there. That's good. The big three? We're we're getting on. Um, yeah, no, that was uh, that's really good. Are we going to go to the big three questions? We're go to the then? big three, I think. Well, yeah. we, we, we seem to just go like these. These podcasts just go off in all angles. You could be here all day, but oh, she's now looking at the questions. Have you seen? You've heard the questions before. 
an yeah. avid listener, I imagine, to the Doom Record <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so you'll be firmly prepped for these. <laughs> Big three questions. You going first? Go on then. So if you could transform yourself back in time to meet your 20-year-old self, what bit of advice would you give and why? This isn't supposed to be about my ex-boyfriends, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it can be. It can we, can, be. <laughs> we can extend the opening hours till 3 a.m. if you want to be here. <laughs> I think from a life slash career perspective, it would be not to take any shit. And I think that's the the overarching message that I have now to, Mm. you know, when I think about my daughter, that's what I want to pass on to her as well. Not to take any shit, to stand your ground, to know you and be proud and confident in you. Um, But also appreciate that that will come with its challenges and that just because you know and appreciate you doesn't mean that other people will um, but I think that's my nice. great I can, I can already see I can already see the gif punchy. I can already see the gif <laughs> yeah. on Twitter no. that's brilliant yeah. question number two can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool that you've taught yourself recently you think everybody needs to know about I'm expecting something big here from someone who works just in don't events. take any don't take any shit this has uh, got to be something that's like you, some kind of magic pot or something that you've got when you work in events to organise your life Oh, it was more about packing, actually. Oh, okay. And it's also a tool that I learned from a friend, and that is to buy those bags that allow you to compress your clothes within your suitcase. Okay, yeah, nice. And to separate your different items into zip bags. <laughs> <laughs> I like where this is going. Right? Wasn't quite what I was expecting. This is, I'm but sure it isn't, it's, but it's, it's going to be very, useful. It, it is a time saver yeah. to when you're packing, pack things into different zip bags. And which allows you to A, pack more things and yeah. B, be I more prepared on the other end. you were end. a pro in an airport. You were just <laughs> straight through. We're oh, discussing yeah. today how straight I... Straight to Weatherspoons. Where possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know me so well already. Um, I think, yeah, that's my other... My overall life hack is around packing and how important <laughs> nailing your packing is yeah. because I do generally take carry-on luggage wherever I go True. rather than taking hold luggage oh. because I've had so many things lost and I think it does save a significant amount I'm, of time I'm trying to get Kenneth into, ha- into pack on luggage so I can take him on a you know, <laughs> half the, the, the cost of our flights you're not going to put me into a vacuum seal bag <laughs> I was just going to say I could have done with that hack last night I was packing so my daughters are going on their first cub camp this weekend oh. so it's two nights away one of my daughters is eight one of them's ten and we got a list through of what they need to pack and of course they had head torch bag cuddly toy all of these things on there woggle have to get their woggle they have to be given the list and they have to pack it themselves so they know where all these things were yes you can only imagine that after an hour and a half two hours we must have packed just five things in the bag (laughs) and it was uh, yeah they were already overflowing so I could definitely have done with that life hack last night but we'll do it again okay and the last one there so uh, as as a podcast that focuses on people who do more good What's your favourite story or a story that you've heard recently or an inspiring individual that's done something good for others and you'd like to give a shout out to? I don't think it's a recent story as such, but I think one of the people who has inspired me the most, despite being completely different to me in, in many ways, is, again, cheesy but true, but my father, he's... A minister, a, 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 a vicar, or was, and I think I was talking about him the other day because I realised that over his, over the course of his career, 
he has played counsellor, teacher, parent. Backpacker. To, <laughs> <laughs> um, aside from his duties to, to his daughters, but um, to his community and his congregation, he's played all of those roles. Mm. And I think there are so many individuals who are in similar roles and positions who give their lives selflessly to help their community. And I think he is someone who has really inspired me, even though, as I said, I think we're very completely different people. But I think having being someone who selflessly will will you know give up their own life essentially to be there for their community is something that everyone can aspire to and yes. definitely not something that I definitely not a position or or something that I can claim to be doing in my everyday life but I I think well I think that's something for that four really days last October me. you achieved that as well so well done <laughs> yeah he sounds like an amazing man that's a, that's a really nice a nice way to end it so, Rebecca, is there anything that you would like to share or if anyone wants to get in touch with you or anything you want to update anybody on, this your opportunity? I think one of the things that I haven't touched on that in my role or you know, within the Resource Alliance world that I'm really passionate about that's coming up is the launch of our online community our digital platform warp that we talked about briefly at the yeah, IFC in 2019 and I'm just so excited about bringing that to the community and it's really an opportunity for the world action resource platform to launch and enable people from all across the world to engage mm. and to share and to experience some of that magic of IFC that we talked about and I think at the moment I'm really aware of the fact that we talk a lot about how 65 countries you know over 65 countries are represented at the IFC and I keep thinking what about those other 100 countries Mm. who aren't with us in the room when we're celebrating and sharing and learning from each other so I'm really excited that we're going to have that platform to bring people together and particularly at this time when Flight bans are being imposed, yes. travel bans are being imposed, mm. and we're seeing online event and activity really ramp up. It feels like a very good tune moment for us to be launching this platform. Yeah, you time so, that, you time that very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you'll achieve it. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. No, it's been really brilliant. Yeah, thank, thank you, Rebecca. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for your support of us as well. Last year, it's been really appreciated, and just wish you. Lots of luck for this year and everything else going on. James, any final thoughts? No, it's been great. It's been really good. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Well, let's wrap it up there. See you soon. See you on ITV. (laughs) (laughs) So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? (laughs) If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 